The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. This show is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. Hi, my name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Here at ANI, we believe that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and we are passionate about providing Providing you with the best content that will help you to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, I want to remind you that we offer consulting and conduct trainings, both virtually and in person, all around the world. Our focus is in three main areas. First, negotiation and conflict resolution. Second, leadership. And lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check the link in the description below to learn more about how we could work with you and your team. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Omar, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kwame. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on. A big fan of the American Negotiation Institute and, and, and your show. So honored to be here, man. I mean, this is a topic I love to talk about. So it's great to be here. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And we're excited to have you. And like I said, off, you know, off air, I really admire the brand that you've built in such a small time. It's super impressive. So I want the listeners to get to know you. So how about we get started by telling the listeners about yourself and what you do? Yeah. Long story short, I'm a, I'm a boy from Texas, grew up on the border, went to medical school at Texas Tech University. Halfway through, figured out I could see myself doing other things. I dropped out, started off in the medical technology space uh, over 10 years ago did robotic uh, surgery sales for a few years and then moved into marketing. And for the last like nine, 10 years, what I've really focused on is the psychology of product adoption and more importantly, persuasion at scale, which is why you know I'm very big on utilizing social media to persuade at scale, whether it's selling a service or driving product adoption or raising money. This is so cool. I think for a lot of listeners, they would understand product, they would understand adoption, they'd understand psychology, but putting those three things together, that might be a new concept to a lot of people. So what does that mean? Psychology of product adoption? Yeah. If you think about it, whether it's the iPhone in your hand or, you know, the wearable whoop thing on my wrist, like we all adopt products or technologies in certain ways, right? And if you think of a bell curve on the very far left of that bell curve, there's a small amount of people who are, you can call tech enthusiasts, right? These are people who like line up outside the iPhone store or Apple store, like day one before the iPhone was released. They didn't even know if it's a good tech. They just want to adopt it. There's other people who are later on who are like, eh, when more people adopt it, we all go through the psychology for literally everything in life, right? And so understanding where those segments of people fall into not only helps you understand how do you drive the adoption of your product or service, but also helps you understand what's the negotiation and persuasion levers you have to pull. So for example, if I'm able to understand that, hey, Kwame is more of a later adopter, right? I think he fits in this segment. I'm going to know that you're going to want to see some case studies. You want to see some data, all these things. Or if you're like super early adopter, then I know that none of those things make a difference. All you want to know is that this is something new. It's something that's visionary. You could be the first one to use it and you get some pride out of that. 
So the more you understand the target you're dealing with in a negotiation persuasion, the better levers you have to pull and the more likely they're going to change behavior and adopt the product. Man, we are starting off strong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're coming in hot, man. (laughs) This is great. This is so helpful. And I think about the psychology of personality. This is almost like an extension of that because- absolutely. Yeah, because we don't persuade everybody the exact same way. If you take the time to get to know the person, understand their different quirks, their things that they're interested in and things like that, then we can make better reads and become better persuaders. A hundred percent. That's absolutely true. And it's kind of like, you know, you fit people on, and I'm sure that's what you guys do at A&I, which is you fit people on with a new pair of glasses. And once you have those new glasses on, you can't unsee the world in a different way right? Now everything starts to make so much more sense as to why people respond and react in certain ways and why they've decided to say yes or no. Absolutely. And when I think about this too, one of the terms I talk about is egocentric persuasion. So Mm. it's like persuading from our own perspective. So we think about the things that would persuade us and we regurgitate that to other people. And so if you're an early adopter and you are talking to somebody who's more of a late adopter and you're like, this is really cool tech. It's the top of the line. It's brand new. It's super exciting. They're like, don't care wait, you you might not have heard me. It's new and cool. (laughs) And we just keep on going back to what works for us, not what works for them. Absolutely. I'm going to have to use that and quote you on that, but egocentric persuasion, you're absolutely correct. Because anytime, I mean, that's the kind of mental model we have, which is like, oh, what would get this person to say yes? Oh, it's these things. And so a lot of people, especially in sales, they do this and they're like, why didn't this person, like I did everything. You did everything according to you. Right. And I think great negotiators, and I, I feel like you've, you've mentioned this in your own work, that great negotiators have an empathetic approach, which is a win-win scenario to understand like, what does this other party actually want? And the more you focus on the other party, the more you're able to achieve ultimately what you want. But if you start from the position of like, here's what I want and, and what's, what do I map? How do I map to that? Then you start doing more egocentric persuasion negotiation and then it fails. And you wonder like, why, why didn't this work? Exactly. And there's so many times, and I'm sure you've seen it with the clients that you work with, where they have something that can definitely help their, their, their prospect, no doubt, but they're not closing deals and they don't understand why. And this is one of those major reasons a lot of times too. A hundred percent. And look, if there's one thing I want to introduce is a concept and I, I can't take uh, credit for that. I feel like I got this from, I think his name is Matt Dixon, the, the, the gentleman who published Challenger Sale and also Jolt, great uh, stuff. But there's FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And we use that as, as negotiators, as sellers, as persuaders, right? Fear of missing out is really powerful. The thing that's actually more powerful than that is you can call it FOMU. There's another one that is probably not appropriate to mention on this, on this podcast, but if FOMU, you can call it fear of messing up. And so when somebody is looking to adopt something like, yeah, there might be a fear of missing out, but the fear of messing up, making the wrong decision and messing up because that entails public humiliation, whether it's to your spouse or to your organization or something, people are more likely to say no because of that, right? Mm. And the more you take that perspective, the more variables you realize you need to make sure that the fear of messing up is not there. And more importantly, that they see the value. Anytime I lose a deal, you know, I can blame a lot of different things. At the end of the day, it's like the other person did not see the value and that's on me, you know? Right, 
Right, exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up. I, I love the term fear of missing out, fear, fear of messing up. I think that's great because when I think back to, to some of the deals that we've closed at A&I with like trainings and keynotes and things like that, um, one of the things that I started to recognize is the amount of anxiety that people feel when they bring us in, especially when it's the first time working with us. And I remember one of my first big gigs I came in and it was a young woman. It was her first time bringing somebody in uh, to do a training like this. And she really wanted to impress her, her boss. She was like the youngest person on the team. And this is mm -hmm. a, one of the funny things about it because I've done a really good job of hiding my age. When I started a and I, I was 27 and people didn't realize that, but they booked my travel and I was like, oh no, they're going to find out. <laughs> they're going to find out my age. And so after the training went well, she said, this is really incredible. I really appreciate it because I wanted to look good in front of my boss and you helped me do that. And I'm not going to lie. When I saw your date of birth, they're like, oh, I was afraid they were going to say, oh no, the 26 year old brought in a 29 year old and the training was terrible. So just giving them the opportunity to recognize, hey, like I can help you to look good with what it is that you're doing, whatever it is that you're selling and giving them that peace of mind to help them know like, hey, this is not going to be a public embarrassment. You will look good. That can go a long way when it comes to helping people close deals. Oh, 100%. And at the end of the day, that's what a lot of decisions are stemmed from, which is how does this make me look good to my boss? Yes. Yes. Like Fortune 500 psychology in, in a nutshell right there. <laughs> Seriously, because every time you make a decision in the corporate world, really, in many ways, you're putting your reputation on the line. And yeah. I think a lot of times if we're in the sales mode, we focus so much on that product fit and what it can do, but we don't take the time to really let the person know, hey, listen, I've got your back. I'm going to help you to make, I'm going to make you look good. And I recognize that you don't want to look bad. So tell me those things that you're afraid of. Let me address some of those concerns because I think they need to feel safe when they're making these deals. Exactly. That's 100% true. Yeah. Now, when we talk about just persuasion in general, what are the key principles that you like to keep in mind when you're working with your clients? Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's a whole list of persuasive principles, but I always start with the foundation, which is you know, the great, our father of persuasion, Robert Cialdini and his principles of persuasion. I will take credit because I'm an ex-medical student because I'm really good at coming up with mnemonics. So I like to think of the seven principles as our class you. This is our class. We're learning just like university. So you, most people know the six principles. So R class you, R is reciprocity, C commitment and, and consistency, L is for liking, A is for authority, S is for scarcity, S is for social proof. Those are the six that he wrote principle with, but then Two decades later, he came out with persuasion and introduced a seventh principle called unity. And unity is pretty much what people do who are like us. Now, most people say, well, isn't that the liking principle? Not necessarily. Liking and unity are similar, but it just depends on the depth. So the liking principle has to do with like, if you're like me, for example, like you and I, my persuasion principle with you is that you're like me in the sense that uh, we're first generation, you know, Americans, you know, parents are immigrants. And you know, where we, we both have our own business, right? That's a liking principle. Like you would like me because of that. I'm also very handsome and I dress really well, <laughs> according, according to my wife. So that, that helps. But unity, unity is something like, hey, we're both small business owners, right? There's a unifying thing there, right? So the, it goes beyond, you know, like, I know I like you, you like me, right? But the unity we have as small business owners, as entrepreneurs, that goes much, much deeper. That goes deeper into like, 
culture, fears, pains, desires, right? So it's very, very powerful. Those are the main principles of persuasion that I always think about. And again, when you come up with a negotiation, right? Nobody knows the power of adding those different ones together, right? So having more than one is always best. So that's what I always start with. Those are the, those are the key ingredients. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And we will be right back after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. I love this, man, because really, at the end of the day, the fundamentals never go out of style. There's never, never. going to be a time where these principles of influence don't work unless we fundamentally change our psychology and evolution takes a very long time. So exactly. <laughs> probably not going to be a problem that we run into. And you're absolutely right. And I'd like to think about it in, in terms of persuasive stacking. So what are the persuasive principles that I can layer on? Cool. So I have reciprocity. Check. Can I get some commitment? Okay. Check. Or consistency? Good. Right? And so we start to layer these things on. And then as you just recognize that your, your messaging becomes infinitely more powerful, just exponentially more powerful with every layer that you put on. And it might be as simple as just a, a, like one sentence to call out one of these things. Just one. That's exactly right. I like I like the way you describe, which is a persuasion stack, and that's exactly what it is. Because as you start layering these things on, it becomes a lot more powerful. Key hack here, which is you know, I think using ChatGPT, where you can take like your business proposal, your email, put it in there, and say, hey, analyze this email, and you know, give me give me ways to make it more persuasive, and please reference principles of persuasion. That way, you start training the model and also training yourself to start looking at this in a different way. 
you know, because it makes it that much easier. We all know that we should sit down and do this, but like doing is kind of a pain. But when you have like generative AI, like ChatGPT, that's the best way to use it. Yes. Listen, we are taking a detour, my friend, because you are I know. Sorry, man. Language. I can't, I I can't help it. <laughs> no, this is great. These conversations become their own thing because uh, I get super excited about AI. When computers were introduced back in the 80s, librarians were like, this is going to put us out of the job. Not only did it not put them out of the job, it generated more librarian jobs because somebody had to manage all this. So like perfect example, generative AI, people say, oh man, graphic designers are done. No more. Like you're just going to use generative AI for logos. No, not necessarily. Because even though I can do it as business owners, I'm not going to spend my time working with generative AI to come up with a logo. The graphic designer is not going to go do it. It's going to make their job easier, but then better, right? Because they're going to prompt the AI and train it and then come back to me and say, hey, like, here's like some really good designs. What do we want to go with? Right. And now you have designers who are now designing, not just from a subjective perspective, but they can use generative AI to say, Hey, what would work well for this industry for this type of purpose? Right. And now it's a lot more data-driven, a lot more objective. So it's just going to make everybody better. I love that, Omar. That's really, it's a really great point because the thing is, those skills are still going to be necessary. I think about, for example, one of the platforms that's really well known for creating artwork is Midjourney. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. We can go in and we can use our words and we can describe something. But artists have different levels of understanding. So, for example, like I see over your right shoulder, there are a lot of different books. And there mm -hmm. at the bottom, there are a lot of different blue books. And so I could mm -hmm. describe probably, I probably have four words for blue, like turquoise, navy blue, sky blue, whatever, right? But somebody who knows, who's like an artist, like there are hundreds of hues of blue. And so they are able to describe things at a much higher level. Mm. And when people who are really great at mid-journey, they can say, create a portrait of a person who looks like this, but I want it to be shot with a Sony camera with this type of lens, blah, blah, blah. So much more detail. So to your point, it's not that it, it will replace jobs. It will also be that, hey, if you have skills and you understand how to utilize AI, it just elevates what you can create in terms of the quality and also the quantity too, because it diminishes the amount of time it takes to do that same work. hundred percent true. I think like the skill, which I'm sure you've seen like so many courses spring up uh, from it. I'll probably add something to my coursework, which is like prompt engineering. Right. Yep. And again, like, I just, I think it's a great time. It's a really exciting time to be alive and utilizing these things. Exactly. I agree. I agree. And I think it's, it's really going to be the people who recognize that these uniquely human skills that we have are not going to go out of style. We're still going to need it. And I think the people who continue to invest in learning about them, they're going to have a decided advantage in the industry because as other people's communication and persuasion skills start to fade, as they start to rely more on it, on AI almost like as a crutch, the people who continue to improve their skills while improving their skills of using AI at the same time, they're really going to excel. A hundred percent. No, a hundred percent. And again, this is all about like stacking skills, stacking persuasion. And when you have like a platform or a tool that's going to make it easier for you, make it more engaging. Like, I think that's, I mean, we're kind of like moist robots here walking around. Like we're kind of like our own AI, right? Like I personally, like I think uh, most well-informed and intelligent people in the world living today is Joe Rogan. Think about the scale. Like every week he's doing three interviews in depth with some expert on something, right? So think about the amount of knowledge that guy has, right? It's just, it's unbelievable, 
right? And you're seeing it because like Joe Rogan interviews like from, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 years ago, you know, like they were pretty good. They're entertaining and everything. But now while he's talking, he's bringing up like references from like different things, all the, all these, because he's just getting exposure at scale to, to all these concepts at once. And of course these ideas, you know, they start to merge together, right? Yeah. You know, so like that in itself is like a whole case study to kind of go through, you know, who Joe Rogan became as a result of his podcast. No doubt, man. And I, I, I feel you there because yeah, you have a show too, right? And yeah, the, uh... just like you, you experience the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, selfishly, when I do podcasts, it's to make content, but like, man, I'm getting access and, and learning at a scale that I will never get from books. Yes. Even though I love books, by the way. I can tell. I see it on your bookshelf. Yeah. Right. And I, I recognize, especially as I've increased the pace of the, the podcast production, because we are we're we're seven days a week now with the show. So it's we're coming in hot with. A oh, lot my of man. I got to up it, man. I, I just got my my creative director to take on like publishing for me. Nice. And, oh, and I'm good. like, I want to do more. Yeah, I want to. We'll have to talk more. I want to. I would love to hear more about your work. But yeah, man, that's inspiring. Yeah. That's inspiring about the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Well, next time we chat, we'll we'll talk about the workflow because it, it comes down to organization and everything. It's it's really important. And I think like I'm sure you're the same way. I learn something new every single time I interview somebody. Something new every single time, which is so exciting. And we just everybody in general, if we continue to expose ourselves to this type of material, this type of knowledge. We're just going to continue to grow incrementally and almost imperceptibly. But mm -hmm. what's going to happen is that it's going to come up at a, a random time in your life. And so there's somebody listening to this podcast. They're like, oh, OK, cool. Well, I don't need to send too many persuasive emails. And then four months later, they're going to say, hold on. I remember that that episode with Omar with the principles of persuasion. This is a really important one. I'm going to layer these in and I'm going to up my game for this specific one. And you never know when exactly. that time will happen, but you'll be ready when it does. Yeah. And then every now and then I get that message on LinkedIn like, hey, man, I'm making more money because of you. I'm like, great. It's working. It's what I like to hear. I love it, <laughs> man. That is great. That is great. Well, with the time we have left, I want to talk about your approach when it comes to the pain and fear framework. Mm -hmm. that you talk about. Can you tell us a bit more about that? That's really interesting. Yeah. So what I realized is, and this is uh, Freud's per, you know concept of the world, which is everybody is not only running towards something, but also running away from something, right? And so you know, I'm a big believer in practicing what I preach, right? I, I have all these books behind me. So I tell, I tell people all the time, like, look, if the result of your learning turns into knowledge, like you're a fool. If it turns into action, like that's how you become wealthy, successful, rich, so on and so forth, right? So I did over 140 calls, like separate sales calls last year, like to get into my course, like people apply, they get on a call, I do a consult and everything. And so part of this is like, for me to persuade them, I need to get information because I don't, I can't guess what levers to pull. And so I figured out this framework, which I like to call present pain, future fear framework. And you can do this with anybody. So when I talk to somebody, I put them in an imaginative state. And this is part of this is hypnosis, right? And so using metaphors and analogy is a great way to self-induce people into hypnosis. By the way, when we, we induce ourselves into hypnosis all the time, we just don't realize it. And so what I'll tell them, I'll say, hey, look, I want you to present, you know, just pretend like we're really good friends. We're having a coffee and I want you to be very open with me. Today, what are some present pains you're dealing with in your job? Present pains you're dealing with the X, Y, Z, you know, and, and when I say present pain, I mean, things that like frustrate you, things that you complain to your buddy about or your colleague, like what's the present pain? And they'll say like, 
It's, you know, I'm having trouble getting access to customers, markets really tough and blah, blah. You know, these are the things that annoy me. They're, they're present pains, right? So now I got to amplify these things. I'm like, okay, so if, you know, you continue to not have access to your customers, you're finding it difficult to sell, you know, you can't, you can't go sell in person to all these things. What is going to happen if let's say nothing changes and those just get worse like a year or two from now? And they'll say like, oh, I won't hit quota. And this is where the future fear is, where I say, okay, what's the future fear that if these things don't get taken care of, this thing is going to happen. And you got to really dig and push people because a lot of people, they're not used to talking about this. And so the first time they start talking about it, you'll see them like self-induced into hypnosis and they'll go off and start imagining, but you got to take it further. You got to say, you know, so they'll say, oh, I'm going to miss my sales quota, or I'm going to get put on a performance improvement plan. Is that the worst thing that's going to happen? And they're like, no, you know, if, if that happens, like I, I'm going to put my career at risk. I'm like, what would, what, what event would happen? They're like, well, I could get fired and then you got to take it further. It's like, okay, if, it, if you get fired, what's going to happen? Like, well, I'm going to, my, like, we might miss rent. I'm going to have to ask my wife to work more, all these things. And so now you've been given all of the things that you need to persuade this person. And by the way, just because somebody listening to this podcast is going to be like, and, and this is my my annoying like public service announcement guy voice. Oh, but Omar, Omar, that's manipulation. Here's why it's not manipulation. Manipulation is getting somebody to do something that they would not want to do otherwise, and it doesn't help them. I think true persuasion comes from the point that if I deep down genuinely know that my program or whatever I'm doing is going to really help this person, it might save them. I have an ethical responsibility to attend to any emotions they're dealing with to help them get over that and make a good objective business decision, which always stems from subjectivity, right? Every decision we make is, is emotionally based, right? So I got to understand what are the emotional barriers this person has in their head, whether it's this is too expensive or I don't have time. It's like, hey, yeah, those, those are legitimate pains to deal with. It's not as painful as unemployment. So that's my present pain, future fear framework, right? And again, my big thing about persuasion, about negotiation is that the more curious you are about the person, the more empathetic you are, the deeper you dive. You got to hold their hand and take them to that place, right? Then you're going to be given all the things you need to help that person. Omar, this is a masterclass. This is really helpful too, <laughs> because I'm thinking about all these conversations, digging into that present pain, but, but being very mindful about taking them on that journey. It's just like, oh, it's, you're not just saying, what are your challenges? In general, they can go anywhere. But it's like, right now, what is it that you're feeling? Like, what are those challenges? And then walking them through that, so powerful. And then you kept digging. Because a lot of times we ask shallow questions. And that doesn't mean that the, the question that you ask by itself is shallow. Is that usually you, it requires a set of questions to get depth. And a exactly. lot of times we let people go, oh, what are some future pains? Well, I might get on a performance improvement plan. Well, that would stink, wouldn't it? And then you move on. It's like, no, <laughs> there's so many more layers that you can get to. And when I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the, the hypnotic state, because I think a lot of people, if they're not familiar with the psychology of hypnosis, they might think about the stage hypnotists that have yeah. people like twir <laughs> twirling around on stage. So when you're talking about hypnosis, what does that mean? Yeah, hypnosis means you're induced in a state where you're you're going to be a lot more open to divulge, not just you know share information, 
but also to use your imagination to get into a state where you're more receptible, uh, receptive to like certain messages. So, and again, hypnosis, there's, there's a whole lot, there's a whole range of things that, you know, getting trained, reading books, applying it, learning for me, I'm not, I'm not classically trained. A lot of it's self-taught and just, you know, what I've gone through on my own. And of course I've been hypnotized many times as well. <laughs> but what I'd say like, here's a perfect example is that we have an operating system of language we use and it's either kinesthetic, auditory, or visual. So if I tell somebody, Hey, here's a video of a beach. I want you to describe it to me. They might say, Oh, I could see the the waves, right? Or they could, or they might say, I can hear the waves or I could feel the sand, right? And so understanding what operating system somebody uses to describe things is also important for persuasion. So if you're a kinesthetic person, which is like 60% of people, most of the time you use a physical thing like, hey, we got to get a handle on this, whatever. But if I'm talking to you and I say, we got to see a solution here, we got we to see the light, whatever, you have to translate into what's applicable to you. Now, we switch systems all the time, just like switching right hand to left hand. But I promise you, like I'm much better off using my right hand than my left hand. You see what I mean? And so just noticing what operating system somebody uses in terms of their language helps makes it easier for them to get into that hypnotic state, which again, you want them to start imagining. Imagination is the most powerful tool of persuasion. To get to that state, you have to use operating language that person uses. You got to use analogies that make sense. Like for example, this is a classic one in my industry. The majority of my industry, which is medical sales reps, there's a large amount of them who are male. I sympathize and empathize with the female reps because they're used to just hearing sports analogies all day long. And I tell my sales, my sales guy, I'm like, look, is it possible that you're dealing with a female rep who understands sports analogies? Highly likely, but you should not assume that, right? Use something else. That does not mean use a female-based analogy, but use something that somebody can relate to a little bit better, right? So instead of like using a, I don't know, a, a football analogy of, of, let's say, scoring a touchdown, right? Maybe use it as like the first time you, you, got, a, you got a promotion or something, right? So, so you use something different, right? Be a little bit more creative with your analogies. This is great. And on that last point, that is feedback I've received too from my chief operating officer, Steph Pali. She she let me know. She's like, yeah, you use a lot of sports analogies and you you lose the women in the crowd when you do that. I've watched. And yeah. so that was, it's, it's important to recognize that too. And we're so rooted in our own experience that again, it's egocentric persuasion. It makes sense to us. So we use it with other people. Same with the, the way that people learn and process the information. So it's like, yeah, can you, can you see where we're going with this it versus how does this feel to you? Right. How does this sound to you? Right. We exactly. could be referring to the exact same thing more or less, but we're being empathetic by taking the time to listen to what the other person is saying, understanding how they're perceiving the world, and then using the type of language that would resonate with them. Absolutely. And just, I have to make a note of this real quick. Like one thing is like, you know, sports analogies are still fine to use. I always tell people, it's very important to understand this. Analogies are fantastic for explaining a situation, simplifying concept. Analogies are not or should not be used for persuasion. You can't look at something and be like, oh, using this is like, I don't know, riding a bicycle backwards. It's like that explains, but it's not going to persuade me, right? So always use analogies to simplify a concept. Don't use it to persuade somebody. Oh. Oh, hold up. We were right at 4.30 and I'm like, well, well, this was good timing. No, Omar, now we, now we got to address that too, because that yeah. is such I'm good at, a man, good I'm point. Good, I'm good on time. I mean, you have your kids at home, so like, I'm, I'm good on my time, you know, let's so do, let's so do you it. I you hear take it. it as far as you want, man. 
Yeah, let's, I need to dig into this one because that that yeah. is so good. Go deeper on that point. Yeah. So like the reason why is that, again, when you use an analogy, usually it's from your own perspective of what makes sense, right? And it's okay to use it to uh, deconstruct a situation and simplify it, right? And can analogies be persuasive? Of course they can. You can, you can use the right analogy and it would not only explain a situation or a concept to somebody, but they'll be able to relate to that analogy and be persuaded. It's not enough by itself because think about all the other things here. The If you look at a list of persuasive themes, analogies are close to the bottom next to uh, like, uh, you know, like we're using word salad, like, you know, a lot of people just talk ad infinitum. That's not persuasive. The very top of that list, in my opinion, things that are rooted in fear. So big fear and identity. Those are the two most persuasive themes. Something that has to do with fear, something has to do with identity. And I would put fear at the very, very top of that list. And again, we talked about this earlier. The two themes that we talked about both have to do with fear. Fear of missing out, fear of messing up. Yeah. Oh, man, this is gold. This is gold. And I know people are listening and saying, listen, I need more Omar. So can you let them know how they can get in touch with you, tell them about the show and, and everything like that? Absolutely. So like uh, I'm on all social media platforms. Uh, just look me at Omar, Omar M. Khatib. My MedTech podcast is called The State of MedTech. And you follow that. If you're more interested into the, you know, like the books, persuasion, I talk about all this stuff. I have a YouTube channel. Just look up Omar M. Khatib or look up my podcast, which I'm kind of bringing back called Mind Loom with Omar M. Khatib. And I, that's the one where I cover, essentially, it's, an, it's a podcast for really dangerous ideas. So your Ooh. listeners might, might, might like that one more. <laughs> that's cool, man. Listen, and listeners, if you just want to learn, like get a masterclass on how to leverage social media follow Omar because I'm telling you, man, your, your presence is great and you're just getting started, which is exciting. So kudos. Bobby, thank you so much. It was a, it was a pleasure and a blast. Likewise. Congratulations. You've just joined an elite club by listening to a full episode. You're now officially on the negotiate anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.